will look at this morning. First, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Uh, we'll be looking at that passage this morning. Last week we started talking, and it's a part of a long series of uh, sermons that we'll do intermittently, uh, dealing with other uh, religions and cults and things like that. Last week we looked at humanism. Humanism is, in essence, a focus on man. Man becomes his own God. Man determines his own direction. Uh, man is his own savior. It just all goes that direction. In fact is, I put together just a little statement that puts together everything that I talked about last week and what I'm going to talk about this week, puts it together in one concise statement. Any philosophy, any religion, or any group that does not particularly and exclusively put Christ's deity, that is, Christ is God in, who took on a human body, his death on the cross, that is, for forgiveness of sin and man's salvation, and his resurrection from the dead as the center is not Christian. I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of organizations and religions and all kinds of philosophies that have Christ in them somewhere, but they are not Christian. Even though they use that term, they are absolutely not Christian. I will stand by this because uh, if you listen to the songs we sang, all the focus is on Christ. It's his work on the cross. It is who he is. He is God in the flesh. If he didn't do that, um, we're, we're all sadly, sadly mistaken. But there are many organizations, philosophies, and I said religions um, in this world that absolutely use the name of Christ. They quote the Bible, but they are not Christian because indeed they do not recognize the deity of Christ. They do not recognize the particularity and exclusiveness of Christ. There is no other Savior, and He alone is the Savior, period. No other means of salvation, no other Savior, and the resurrection. The resurrection is the ultimate miracle, life from death. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, proving He had sin over power, uh, power over sin and death. Nothing else. Last week we started by looking at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, which reads this way. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That's a good explanation of humanism. It is man doing his best. And as I pointed out before, man is quite capable of doing some pretty spectacular things. Why? We're created in the image of God. He has created us with a lot of ability, a lot of capability. But we have distorted that very greatly. Last week we looked at modernism, which is basically a confidence that things are going to get better and we can know and we can work it out. We can figure it all out. We looked at humanism, and that is religious humanism, which basically says uh, any uh, deity is just wrong. The exi uh, universe exists in and of itself. It's self-existing, and in essence, material becomes God. Today, we're going to go beyond that, and we're going to look at several other things, and we're going to end uh, the last point today, and the, the biggest part of it is we're going to look at the whole concept of Freemasonry and how it fits in with this whole thing. With second, uh, the third branch that we're going to look at today is universalism. At its bottom line, it's this. 
God would never create a being, a personal being, a human being, and send him to any kind of eternal punishment or damnation or hell or whatever other term you want to use there. God is too loving to do that. Uh, and universalism says that while man may be somewhat sinful, uh, at the same time, God will make sure all of them get saved. Universal salvation. In fact, is uh, in Catholicism, they have purgatory because, well, you might not be quite good enough, so we'll purge away those sins in another place by the same fires as hell. There's a new one out. It kind of fits with the emergent church, which says a remedial hell, where you, you kind of go to hell and you get remediation, sort of like you have to go to summer school, you know, and then you get it right and then you can pass on. None of that kind of stuff. Universalism simply uh, says everyone is going to get saved. In fact, a lot of them don't even believe there is such a place as hell. Uh, and at the same time, they believe, well, because of that, there's no exclusiveness that you need to trust Christ to be saved. Uh, all religions are kind of okay. They're not anti-religion. They're just, hey, they're all okay. Keep this in mind when we come and talk to about Freemasonry at the end of the sermon because they are absolutely universalists because they believe that um, ultimately uh, people are going to be okay. Why? Because they believe in reincarnation at their core. A lot of people will disagree with that. You just need to hang on here for a moment. What does the Word of God say? Several passages of Scripture that we all know and most of us have memorized. For example, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. So that's great. God loved the world. Isn't that great? That he gave his only begotten son. So his love is shown in Jesus Christ. That's what we've been singing about. You see, he loves us enough to send Christ to die for our sins. If he sent Christ to die for our sins, he's saying there's only one way of salvation. That whosoever believes in him, that is in Jesus Christ, shall have eternal life and shall not come into judgment. In other words... Uh, I, I'm sorry, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I got two verses mixed up in my head here. Simply this. I'm going to re-quote that because I actually do know John 3.16 by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you perish. There is no universalism. The very end of that chapter, most people don't know this passage, but in John 3.36 it says this, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey, and the word obey is a synonym for the word believe, he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's pretty clear. And we can go to many, many other passages in the Scripture that say, in essence, the exact same thing. Remember last week we said the word or the concept or the preaching of the cross is to those that are perishing foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And God is very clear. The focus is exclusively and particularly on Jesus Christ. That's universalism. Then there's Unitarianism. And again, uh, keep this one in mind as we get to the end of the sermon. Because Unitarianism simply says this. There's only one God. Strict monotheism, which means there cannot be any trinity. Think about this. If there is no trinity, 
then Jesus Christ is not God. If there is no Trinity, then the Holy Spirit is not God. Almost all the cults teach some form of this, that there's just one God. And by the way, that God is kind of above and beyond everything else. Uh, religion and all that is kind of loosely attached to it. But there's one overriding God above everything else. And if Jesus Christ did not reveal to us who God is, and the Bible is very clear that he did, then reason and science and all those types of things are at least equal with faith in God. And in reality, it always comes down to this. It's always above and beyond that. They believe that no religion can claim monopoly on what is true. And so all kinds of sacred literature is okay. So it's the Vedas, they're okay for Hindus, but they're okay, don't don't knock down. The Quran, it's okay, don't knock it. And you can put any other uh, volume of sacred law up front and say, well, you know, it has equal validity because, well, there's one God. But you know what, there might be a God and there is a God, but there are many ways to get there. That's Unitarianism. Of course, if there is no ultimate, particular, and exclusive Savior, Jesus Christ, then man can't ultimately be sinful, as we've been singing about, and needing someone to take his place. And if Christ is not God, you have no ultimate Savior. And so man is just inherently not corrupt. He's capable of doing good and bad. All depends what direction you go with your life. And then there's putting the two of them together. And uh, this is the one where you, if you look it up in the phone book or on the internet, you'll find the Unitarian Universalist Association. It kind of takes the worst of both and puts them together uh, in one package. But they believe there's no single religious text that can inspire all of us. And so, you know, whatever it is, that's up to you, whatever it is. Of course, truth is not an absolute. It changes. Uh, science and religion, again, uh, science and religion, I'm sorry, reason and science are the goal. Why? Again, humanism. Man is the center. I can figure it out. It's up to me. You can, you're God, that's okay for you. You're God, that's okay for you. Mine can be different. God is not necessarily defined. And if you have a religion, they're not against that. But it has to be relevant to what's going on in this world. And so get with it, folks. You know what? If you still are stuck back in believing the Bible is literally true, God has spoken once for all time, you're an old stuck in the mud. You're just not with it. And so you need to get with it. And so it's just all of those kinds of things put together. Put that on top of liberal Christianity, basically liberal Protestantism, where in essence the Bible really is not the word of God. Again, reason, man, figuring it out is the ultimate authority. Uh, God is just the prime force, uh, not necessarily a person. He, and if there's no trinity, of course, then Jesus Christ was just a good moral teacher, a good pa- a man, a good example, that type of thing. And we're not really sinful. We're just imperfect. But you know what? If we work at it really hard, we'll do better. Years ago, the social gospel was a big illustration of that. You know, all we need to do is build houses and give people jobs and do a few of those things, get them out of poverty, everybody will be fine. That's a social gospel. It doesn't work, never has, never will. 
Of course, the cross of Jesus Christ, the focus of Christianity, the work that was done by Christ on the cross, that's offensive. What do you mean, death and blood and guts and gore and all those things? You couldn't believe that. You know, I'm not that bad. Nobody had to do that for me. The answer is yes, they did. But we need to, we'll get back with that again here in a few moments. But continuing on, we need to see that as the world has gone away from the Bible, they've gone away from Christ, they believe man can get better. And by his own efforts, his own character, he can meet the standard. It goes like this. Keep the Ten Commandments. Follow the golden rule. Live by the Beatitudes. Try this sometime. No one had ever told me that they're going to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments could ever give me more than six of them. One lady one day, I think I've told this story before, she said, I gave you seven. I said, no, you didn't. You repeated one of them. And she actually had repeated. I don't remember which one it was, but she repeated one of them. How in the world can you think that you're going to be right with God when you get, don't even know what the rules are? You know, it just doesn't work that way. Because God made it clear, as we saw in several passages of Scripture already, that uh, it is only by faith in Jesus Christ. But now we come to that passage that we were asked, I asked you to turn to. If you don't have a Bible, please take one from under a pew chair and follow along. Hopefully you brought your own. But it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. And the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we don't lose heart. The Apostle Paul said, I know I'm fighting an uphill battle. The world, its system, and all the humanistic ideas of the world are coming against what we're doing. Satan uses the world system to fool people, to blind people. That's what he does. The Apostle Paul knew that. He says, but we don't lose heart. But here's what he said we do. He says, we have renounced the hidden things because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adultering the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. As we look forward uh, and to the last point, when we talk about Freemasonry, here's what it comes down to. You've sung it since you're a kid. The light of the world is Jesus. But if you go to a lodge, they say, we will lead you into the light. You come as a pretty much a blind beggar. We'll lead you into the light. That's blasphemous. Anybody that says they have light that does not come from Christ or from the Bible, that's blasphemy, folks. Slice it, dice it any way you want. That's what it comes down to. Christ is the light. Anything else that comes in is darkness. He says, we've renounced those hidden things of the world. And remember, Freemasonry, by the way, you could put a whole lot of other organizations and groups in there. I'm, this is just the easiest one to do, and it's kind of, and I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying, this is the way it is. This is biblical. My end result is not, do you know about Freemasonry? It is, you know what, folks? We need to think for ourselves. And for our ministry, the world is dominated by those who think man's thoughts. Our job is to show them and point them to Christ. Only if Christ is the focus, exclusive in particular, that only is Christian. Anything else is 
muddying the water at best, misleading, and sometimes just downright down the tubes. It's just the way it is. But he says, and by the way, if you think the Apostle Paul didn't know what he was talking about, in his day, there were all the secret societies. They've existed for thousands of years. So by different names and all different groups and that, they always existed. And he says, we've renounced all of those things. The Corinthians had about as bad a background as you could get. Anything that was wrong, they did it. And he said, we've renounced the hidden things, and we don't do it in craftiness. We don't have some sly little way you get through this and steps to get to light and all that kind of stuff. He said, we don't have any of those things, and we don't adulterate the word of God. We don't water it down. We don't be unfaithful. We are not unfaithful to the word of God. He says, but we have our conscience right up front. God made it very clear in the word of God. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. What I have done, I've not done in secret. I've done everything I've done in the open. You, you want to pick on me? You don't have to go looking for secrets. I've done what I did in the light. The Old Testament in the book of Proverbs says, wisdom shouts in the streets. See, what God wants us to know, we don't have to go looking for behind some closed doors or behind a ritual or some other secret kind of thing. It's just not that way. The word of God is clear. You have a copy. This is what you need for light. This is what we need for salvation. This is what points us in the right direction. And so, continuing on, even if our gospel is veiled, and he's saying, okay, you're saying, well, we don't understand all this. We don't understand what you're saying, Paul. Even if the gospel, the good news is veiled, it's only veiled to those who are perishing. In other words, if you've trusted Christ, you look at it and you go, the gospel is absolutely the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for our sin, the availability of new life, eternal life, forgiveness, and all those things, it's all in the good news. It's there. He says the only part, people that can't see that light, they only see it vaguely, is those that don't know the truth. And notice what he says, and this is pretty harsh, folks. It says, in whose case the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, he's saying, if you don't see that, you're blinded to it, you don't see the light of the gospel. But it doesn't stop there. It says, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. Jesus' sake. We don't preach ourselves. You're not going to hear me up here preaching Garden Chapel. You're not going to hear me preaching Pastor Paul. You're not going to hear me preach any of those things. Because guess what? You start any of those things, you're in the wrong direction. The Word of God is God's real Word. Jesus Christ is God revealing him, Himself through a person. That's our focus. Nothing more, nothing less. That is our focus. Continues on, verse 6. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give light, I'm sorry, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then he goes on to say, oh, by the way, just so you understand, we are not perfect ourselves. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surprising greatness of power will be of God and not from ourselves. 
the Apostle Paul wasn't patting himself on the back saying, look at me, look what I've got. He was saying, no, my boast is in Christ. If I'm going to boast, it's going to be in Christ. And notice, it's the light that shines out of darkness. He is the one who's shown in our hearts. We need light? Absolutely. Do we need to know what God said? Absolutely. Where does it come from? It only comes from Jesus Christ. It comes from the Word of God. Let's look at a few things, and I'm going to do this really quickly. Again, this is not about that you want to need to know everything about masonry. That is not the purpose of this sermon. The purpose of this sermon is so you examine your own life and so you understand. We have a job to do to take the gospel, the light, to the world. Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. He that comes to me won't dwell in darkness. That's what we need. That's the only place. Just a number of quotes, and you'll, you'll see them. Um, one of the things, uh, I'll start with the second, the second quote up here first. It says, the most profound secrets of masonry are not revealed in the lodge at all. They belong only to the few. That is absolutely how it operates. The symbols and all those kinds of things, the rituals, they make it clear. That's not the end. I have had people argue with me for years, long before I was a pastor, that I go to the Masonic Lodge and nothing there contradicts what I hear at church. Well, either you're in a church that doesn't preach the exclusiveness of Jesus Christ, or you're in, not listening if you're at a church that preaches Christ. It's something's wrong somewhere. There's just not, there's not right. But the truth of the matter is, they make it very clear. In fact is, uh, as I was uh, looking, I was um, researching. By the way, you can see any of this stuff. All you need to do is pull up your internet. You can check out anything I tell you. It's all there. Uh, nothing that I thought up on my own. It says, what is the, the definition of Freemasonry? I should have done that right away. It's a system of morality. Now notice this. A system of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols. I took the pains to read uh, just last week, or the week before, I'm sorry, and I finished it this week, uh, an online book. It's not a new one. It's one of the, the people that would be recognized by anyone that's in the Masons. Uh, 247 pages of all kinds of stuff. But uh, in the end, what is the secret? secret is nobody knows what the secret is. That's my opinion. I, I read the whole thing. I skim read some of it because it got too confusing, but nonetheless, the secret is nobody really knows what the secret is because it's been lost. The point is you're looking for light and you're looking in all the wrong places. That's what the problem is. Jesus Christ said he is the one that is going to give us the light. Now, a lot of people say, well, where I go, it's only the Bible. Well, there, that may be true. No doubt about that. Lots of people have told me that. But the Bible is the great light in masonry or any other sacred book that is chosen. And that is true. You check it out. You'll find out if it's the Vedas, that's fine. That's the Hindu scriptures. If it's the Quran, that's the Muslim scriptures. Or a whole lot of other ones. In fact, as I, I looked up one uh, Lodge's website and they said uh, they could have as many as four, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, five or six volumes of sacred law, and that's what they call them, on their altar. Freemasonry says we're not a religion. I'll take their definition for that. But what they are is religious. They have creeds. They say they don't, but they do. They have doctrine. They say they don't, but they do. 
because they make statements. They don't believe they're a religion because they believe that they're above and beyond all other religions. They're the big umbrella. And you can be a Christian if you want to be. You can be a, a Muslim. You can be a Hindu. And you can still worship that same one God. Different way of getting to God, but you can still worship that God. That is a theological distinction. That's a doctrine of theology. There's a means of salvation. I pointed this out and I'll point it out again. His character determines destiny. It's not trusting Christ and Christ alone for salvation. It's you work out your own salvation. I will also tell you that as I was reading, they quote scripture freely. And when I say freely, I mean really freely. It doesn't mean anything what you think it means. Because, and I'll have a few of them on my quotes here, where it's just totally ripped out of context. And it doesn't mean anything of what the scripture says. And so whatever sacred volume of law, uh, that's okay. It doesn't contradict masonry. It does in some cases. If you believe the Bible, it absolutely contradicts it. And the last one here, it's based on a philosophy such as nowhere else exists outside of its ancient symbols. Here's what it comes down to. You can be a Christian, you can be this, or you can be that, but we have the final. We're above and beyond all of those, and that is literally what is taught. We are going to show you the light. Uh, a couple of quotes from the book that I was reading. Masonry is the universal religion only because and only so long as it embraces all religions. For this reason and this alone, it is universal and eternal. It is uh, Unitarianism to its fullest extent. There's one God, but there's a bunch of different ways that you can get to God. Uh, Brother Pike uh, mentioned here is Albert Pike. He's been known by anybody that's been a Mason knows that name. Uh, he says that the real secrets of Masonry, the philosophy concealed in its symbols, are far older than the Vedas and are at least 10,000 years old. I got a lot of problems with that statement. Simply this, first of all, it says that they're concealed. God made it clear. I want the world to know. In fact, my challenge to you today is not so much about masonry. Is Are you really interested that, that the world would know the truth? If you are, it changes the way you spend your money and your time and your attitude and everything else. It absolutely does. It says they're far older than the Vedas. Those are the Hindu scriptures, which is saying it's beyond and it's before the scriptures were written. And it says it's at least the 10,000 years old. Now, if you believe what I believe, and I think I'm right, is that the world isn't much older than about 6,000 years old. So somewhere along the line, their authority came from someplace that was on this earth. I'll just let it at that. What about God? They absolutely teach that there's one God, strict monotheism, and he is the father of all mankind. In fact, is they're very adamant numerous times. Simply, they believe in one universal God who is, and the universal brotherhood of man, and they also believe in the immortality of the soul. And you go, hey, that sounds good. That's what Christianity teaches. But if you check, you will find out it's not the same thing that you're talking about. In fact, is they will go on very clearly to state that they believe in reincarnation and karma and all those kinds of things, and so eventually you'll get saved. And that's why they are universalists also. Because eventually, if you keep going around long enough, you'll be okay. But uh, we need to understand, and I'm going to just read the second, the second one here, or the third one, I'm sorry. A universal belief in one omnip 
omnipotent, supreme architect of the universe, regardless of our personal religious beliefs, as Jews, Christians, Muslims, or members of other religions, we are unified in requiring singular belief, respecting without embracing the religion of our brothers. The truth is, I have to tell you, I don't respect Islam. I don't respect Judaism without Christ. I don't respect Hinduism. By the way, the name of Jesus shows up in a lot of those. I don't respect them because they're not respectable. They don't focus on Christ. They are not Christian. They've missed the mark. In fact, is one of the, the, the other quotes of the very last one there, all religions worship the one God under different names, the nameless one of a hundred names. That is the universal brotherhood of man, the fatherhood of God, and basically we all get together in, under this one umbrella. And that is where uh, a lot of the issues come in. Uh, you know what? I'm going to run out of time. I'll just skip to the next one here. What about Jesus Christ? Without a doubt, they believe in Jesus Christ. No doubt about it. Is it the Jesus Christ of the Bible? That's the real question. Jesus of Nazareth was but a man like us. If you make that statement, that is not a biblical statement. He was only like us in one way, in that he became man, he was made man, but only without a sin nature, because he didn't have a physical father. He was the God-man, and he did not and does not have a sin nature. Never did, never will. But what do they mean by that? When you go behind it, you will find out this. And, and they even, they like to quote the early church fathers when it fits their um, agenda, uh, except what you have to understand is just because somebody was an early church father doesn't mean they weren't a heretic. Let me read something. In the early church, as in the secret doctrine, there was not one Christ for the whole world, but a potential. The italics are not mine. That's the way it was written. Uh, but a potential Christ in every man. Theologians first made a fetish of the impersonal, omnipresent divinity, and they tore the Christos from the hearts of all humanity in order to deify Jesus, that they might have a God-man peculiarly their own. Notice that? Totally the opposite of what I've said earlier. Man's knowledge and power are no longer confined to or circumscribed by the lower plane or the physical body, but transcending these regeneration, self-coalescent, that was put in them by them, uh, and becoming perfect in humanity, man obtains divinity. In other words, he becomes Christos. Now, notice the last one. This puts it all together. The perfect man is Christ. No, no problem with that. The Bible teaches that. And Christ is God. I believe that too. That's biblical. The explanation. This is the birthright and destiny of every human soul, as was taught in all the greater mysteries of antiquity. In other words, they believed, and this is what they believed, Jesus was just like you and me. But because he got it together, his character, his life, and everything else, he obtained to the Christ status, Christos. He obtained to that. And he is not unique because every single person can do the same thing. You were born with that capability. In other words, you can become God. That is absolutely not biblical. It just no way, shape, or form is that biblical. 
And just one other thing that I'll, I'll point out here, and I'll let the rest of it go. But it says, uh, the qualities assigned to Christ are, are to be found in the life of Krishna and all the legend of all the sun gods of the remotest antiquity. What it is, is anyone has the power to obtain to a God-like status. Not a God-like status, a God status, just like Christ. They said Christ was God. But every human being has that capability. In fact is, if you say only Christ has that, you would be wrong according to them. The word of God is very clear that only Christ and Christ alone uh, has that ability. Um, and you know what? It, that just simply said it's important that we strive to be like Christ. What about worship? What about salvation? Because if you make a statement, uh, and this comes right from the front of a Masonic Bible that was given right in our area. I photocopied it. Uh, simply says, character determines destiny. That's not biblical. Guaranteed it's not biblical. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his creation, created unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. See, good works do not determine our destiny. But if we know our destiny based on the work of Christ, based on trusting him, then we will indeed live that way. We'll live as redeemed people. We'll live as someone who has salvation. In fact, is we know that there's a passage of scripture, and it's quoted right here, uh, that says we're to work out our salvation. Tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say work for your salvation or work to get saved. What it does say is work out your salvation. You see, if you are born again and you are one of Christ and you've been saved, your sins are forgiven, you know heaven is your home, you're right with God, then you will live that out. So all you're doing is living out what's already you. The opposite is what's our own merits, our own force, our own whatever. And then it goes on to say salvation by faith and the vicarious, that simply means someone did it on your behalf, atonement were not taught as now interpreted by Jesus, nor are these doctrines taught in the esoteric scriptures. They are later and ignorant perversions of the original doctrines. In other words, if you teach that salvation is by faith and that someone else had to die for you, Okay, just I'll go, I'll stand still. Um, that someone else had to die for you, mainly Jesus, you're just ignorant. It's a perversion of what originally was there. I'm, out, I'm totally out of time. But the truth of the matter is, I'll, I'll just give you what this says here. And it's just that this guy was moaning and groaning that the Masons of today have simply taken on a distinctive Christian flavor in Europe and the United States. And that is contrary, that's the last part of the first quote, contrary to the genius of masonry. That's why people with a totally sincere heart, and I believe that. I've, I've known lots of masons in my life. I've had lots of discussions with them. I absolutely am not anti-mason. I just disagree with what they believe. I disagree with the organization. I disagree with the system. 
The people, I've met very great, good ones, wonderful people. But here's the point, is the things that are taught by masonry are simply not Christian. And the parts that are Christian were added in. The, the guy who was writing here, and he wrote it about 1900, he just simply said, you know what? They have put Christian things in here that don't belong here. It's messing with the genius of masonry. It doesn't belong there. Because what are they really believe in one God? He doesn't have a name. Well, they, they, they have a secret name. All depends who you read, that secret name changes. But nonetheless, it's not Jesus Christ. It's not God the Father of the Bible. It's not the Holy Spirit of the Bible. It's not the Trinity of the Bible. It's just simply not there. The Bible teaches we were all created by God, and we were created to worship and serve him. We fell. We chose to sin and separated ourselves. And we need to be brothers with Christ, to be brothers with each other. We need salvation. We need to be born again. It's not joining an organization or doing good things. It is through Christ alone. And he was sim simply saying that masonry is much bigger than that. It's the umbrella. You can do whatever you want, but we've got it. In fact, is, and this one here has been uh, told to me many times. I've read it many different places, too. We stand, the Mason's talking, we stand for the values that are supreme in the life of the church. And we are sure that he who is true to the principles he learns in Mason, Freemasonry will be a better church member because of it. If you're not being taught exclusively and particularly that Jesus Christ is the only Savior, the Word of God is His revelation, not some other possibilities, some other Savior, that if you're being taught character determines destiny, in fact, is one of the things that is clearly taught is we make good men better. The Bible says we're sinners. We need the light of the gospel. We need the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Folks, for conclusion, simply this. The world is in darkness. The world is in darkness. Standing still is pretty hard for me. The world's in darkness. It needs the light. If you're looking for liberal Protestantism, if you're looking for humanism, if you're looking for Unitarianism or Universalism or any of these man-based systems to give people salvation and light, you're going to wait way too long because the light is here. It's Jesus Christ. The Old Testament points to him. The New Testament verifies it. And we have the privilege of being this pillar and support of the truth. Who do you lift up with your life? Who do you want to lift up for the world to see? It's Jesus Christ. His finished work plus nothing. His word that he's already given, it's finished. We're not to add to it or take away from it. That's what we have. We have the truth. We have the light. Not because of me or not because of you. We are simply the ambassadors who give that light to others. I challenge you that we have a task. And if that task is to give the light to the world, the gospel to the world, it's going to change how we use our money. It's going to change how we use our time. It's going to change our attitude. It's going to change just about everything in your life. And that's my point. 
We live in a needy world. We live in a dark world. Jesus told us to be salt and light to the world. And he hasn't changed his mind. That's our task. It's missions, it's evangelism, it's Sunday fun day, it's the person you work next to tomorrow. That's what we need to do. Give them the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's all stand together.